It's one of the questions I'm asked with some frequency. Why did you decide to become a priest? It's an interesting question because it actually highlights and emphasizes just how strange an idea the priest is in today's culture. Because a priest is a person set apart. They don't get to enjoy the vocation and the calling of marriage. They live in a strange house that's just a little bit removed from the parish. And whenever they're shopping, oftentimes people kind of gawk at them because they're shopping in weird clothing. Why would one want to be a part of that? And what's worse, sometimes there are things that are valid concerns. That many times it looks like there are people in the church that look to do the church harm. That many times priests cause scandal. Many times bishops abuse their power. Sometimes those in the higher levels of the hierarchy seem to deviate from what is the straight and the narrow. Why would anyone want to be a part of that? Why would any of us want to be a part of that? Why would any of us want to be a part of the church? Isn't this somewhat of a problem that we see issues all around us? Does that mean that God has forsaken his people? Should we just give up and move on? Or should we not? To begin to answer that question, we should really realize that the entirety of history has this same problem. We've all heard the old adage, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the Bible gives credence and evidence for this very phenomenon, because whether in Malachi or in Jesus' time, we see very similar problems. If we look back at the first reading from the book of the prophet Malachi, we see that religious corruption was very much a concern, even in the time after the Babylonian exile. We understand that the prophet Malachi, he's speaking to a people that have just been released from captivity and from exile, that they've been allowed to return home. They've been allowed to rebuild the temple, that they should be in a place of gratitude and of thanksgiving. But we find them in a place of utter depravity that they don't really care about faith any longer. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Because as they were exiled, they learned the ways of the world. They learned all of the siren songs that were calling to them. And so they largely forsook the Lord their God. And so they were filled with indifference, not gratitude. So whenever all of these things of restoration happened, all of a sudden they see them and they just kind of ignore them. But what is the Lord doing in their midst? that we see this depravity is so deep and so grievous that it even reaches the depths of the Levitical priesthood during that time because it is such a strong corruption. But nonetheless, the Lord starts to restore his people, and he's going to start with the priests first because they should be the ones that were the very last to renounce the faith. But nonetheless, he speaks to them that they should give glory to his name, that they should be following the commands, that they should be honoring the covenant of Levi. But what are they doing? They're largely forsaking it. They've become a stumbling block. They've been a point of faltering for all of the people, that they've become a large disappointment. And so therefore the people are falling away because they see even the priests are doing the same thing. And so the Lord speaks to them and he warns them in very clear terms that their blessing is going, it's on danger of becoming a curse because the people look at what they're doing and they recognize that the priests aren't really believing. And so even their blessing is going to be doubted. So it's going to become as good as a curse to them. But it's not just the priests that are at fault at this time, but even the faithful at that point. Because we recognize that they've turned and they are not in good faith with one another. They've turned from the covenant of the Lord their God. 
And so the book of the prophet Malachi and this reading in particular, they give us an advantage and perspective of recognizing how the Lord is speaking through Malachi into that moment because he wants to see restoration. But truly there was corruption at that time. On a completely different note, we see St. Paul speaking in the first letter to the Thessalonians about that similar element of thanksgiving, that same element that has been going on for the last several weeks. But he gives this element of thanksgiving in reflecting on how they took the faith, but also the ways that he and the other disciples ministered. That they came in and they had the affection of a mother to her nursing child. That they continued to toil day and night, and they went through toil and drudgery and all sorts of difficulty for the sake of the gospel. And because of that, they continued to make sure that the faith was not a burden or an undue burden to those that were around them. But as they saw their ministry and as they saw their mission, they were to support those, especially in those difficult moments, to adopt the faith. And so they didn't leave them with a hard burden or a difficult path to follow, but they helped them along the way. They walked the path with them. But nonetheless, we recognize, too, that this is not just St. Paul's word, but he admits and he tells all of those in the church of Thessalonica that this is not his word, but it is the word of God, and that is how they were able to receive it. If it had been only St. Paul's word, he would not have given it with such affection. He would not have worked day and night. He would not have worked in the same way, but because it is the word of God, because it is his mission and ministry that were given to him by Almighty God, he works tirelessly. He wants to ensure that the people receive the word of God because they're so hungry for it. And so indeed, he gives thanks because they did receive that word. They saw the example, they saw the difficulty, they saw the ways that the disciples were ministering to them. And because of that, they adopted the faith and did so quite well. Then we finally move on to the gospel according to Matthew, and we see Jesus encountering religious corruption in his own time, because he is in the midst of the Jewish community, and he's always going after the chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders of the people and even the scribes, because they have received the word of God, but they're not so good at living it out. And so he's starting to call them out yet again because he tells the people, they sit on the chair of Moses, they sit on a place of authority. So do what they say, but don't follow their example because they they preach, but they do not practice. And indeed, that's how deep their corruption has gone, that they can speak a powerful and good message, but they are not going to follow it themselves. They can't be convinced nor convicted. But nonetheless, what has happened that their corruption is so bad that they are starting to even look for those worldly trappings and all the things that were external to their office, that they're looking for those places of honor, that they're looking for all those titles, they're looking for greetings, they're looking for all of the things that make them feel good, but in fact get in the way of their ministry. So they're looking for all the external trappings, but they're not really doing the work of what they were sent to do. So the Lord begins to speak to that reality, but he wants to use them to give the others a positive note, something that they are to do. And so he says, the greatest among you must be your servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So again, he gives that glaring indictment of those in leadership at that time, but it again highlights and emphasizes just how deep that corruption is, but how much the Lord wants to restore even in the midst of that corruption. But again, we return to our present day and age, 
Many times we can be tempted to be discouraged. Many times we can look at the negative. We can look at the things that go wrong. And because of that, it starts to overpower us and it starts to make us wonder, is it all worth it? Or even those accusations and the different things that are hurled at the church as a way to discredit the church, sometimes we ourselves start to believe them because they are so powerful or sometimes we begin to wonder. We don't adhere to the faith very well. But in the midst of all of this, even in the midst of difficulty and disappointments, and even in the midst of sometimes scandal or those different things that happen in the church, what are we to do? Where are we to go? What can we do to turn to the Lord our God? Well, the first thing is that in these readings and in this gospel, it is reminding us fundamentally that even though things might go wrong, even though we might encounter negatives in life, that the Lord has never abandoned his people. Not in the time of Malachi, not in the time of Jesus, and certainly not today. That the Lord is never going to leave us to our own devices or to those that are in power over us to utter corruption. But rather, the Lord is always going to be there. That he's going to be there in the prophet Malachi. That Malachi was speaking those words of conviction, and he was reminding them that there was the need for conversion and repentance. That he's going to be there in the words of Jesus Christ, who is there reminding them not to seek the places of honor and prestige, but rather to seek after the humble place, the place of a servant. Or even in the place of St. Paul and the other disciples, that that tireless effort and that tireless servanthood, the ways that they were working, they were working in utter toil and drudgery because of the sake of the gospel, because Jesus Christ had commissioned them and sent them forward to do that mission. But nonetheless, St. Paul was there. He was faithful. The other disciples were faithful. Therefore, we should not lose faith because there are St. Paul's, there are other disciples, there's Malachi and even Jesus Christ himself in our own time. Because I didn't pursue the priesthood because of all of the faults that I saw. I didn't pursue it because of the disappointments. I pursued it because of those examples of holiness that were around me. Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, local examples such as Monsignor William Stanton of late memory, or even Bishop Johnson, though he has moved on to another diocese that those men exuded holiness and fidelity and all of the things that were important to be a part of ministry, that they made it possible to see the light even in the midst of so much darkness. So the Lord is reminding us that he has never abandoned us and never will, that even in moments of disappointment and even in the moments when we can observe things going wrongly, that nonetheless the Lord is always there, that Jesus is here and he's restoring his church and he's renewing the entire face of the earth. So we should never give up on the church. It's always here. But then there comes a second thing that we must do. Because we recognize that the priesthood, the ministries within the church, and the different offices, and the religious within our diocese, and within the entire church, they have the potential to do so much good. But because of that, they're a target for the evil one, and for so many others. Because of that, because of their potential to do so much great good, because they can be a witness to so many people, the devil especially sets his sights on them. He wants them to fall. He wants them to be discouraged. He wants them to see the negatives. He wants them to give up and to go home so that he can have a greater grasp on the world at large. 
Because it can be so easy to see the negatives. It can be so easy to see the disappointments. It can be so easy to see how people more often complain than give a compliment. How sometimes the sacraments go unused. How the confessional door stands open for so long and nobody comes in. That it can be so easy to see how for every one person that enters the church, six people walk away and they abandon the faith. That sometimes you preach a beautiful message and no one takes it to heart. It can be so easy, and the devil wants to focus on those details, those different disappointments, the things that can go wrong, all of the negatives. He wants us to abandon the positives. He wants us to abandon the things that are going right, the ways that people are coming to faith, those different moments where we see that one comes to that realization or intensifies and deepens the relationship with God, or the way that someone leads a holy and beautiful life or comes to get their child baptized. He wants us to look past all of those things. And that's why it's ever more necessary for each and every one of us to pray for all of our priests, all of our deacons, all of our bishops, our Holy Father, and all of the religious, because they are such a target. They have so much to deal with. They have so many things to do and so few hours to do those things. It can be so easy to surrender to discouragement, and yet there's that need for God's grace in the midst of all of it. So it's imperative that we pray for all of our priests, all of our religious, all of those entrusted with ministry in the church. And I dare say I humbly ask for your prayers as well as your parish priest, because there are so many things that need to be done. But nonetheless, we shouldn't give up, but we should always enter into prayer for each and every one of them. And we should also recognize that this week is National Vocations Awareness Week. And it is a recognition of that fact that God is sending workers in his vineyard, and he's calling even more. But we should pray for an abundance of workers to enter into that vineyard. We need more priests. We need more religious. We need more of those who are going to minister to God's people. Because I dare say we see the amount of work that needs to be done, and there's very few hands to do it. Pray for an increase in an abundance of vocations to the priesthood and religious life, especially from within our parish and from within our school. But then the final thing that we should recognize, that the priesthood is a twofold division in the Catholic Church. There's the ministerial, the ministerial priesthood. That is the priesthood that I share in. It's the ordained priesthood. Those that are set apart for service. That's an important part, but it's not the only part of priesthood that we have in our church. Because each and every one of us that are baptized are a part of the common priesthood. A part of those that are set apart for mission and for ministry within the church. Each and every one of us have a job to do. A place where we are called to minister and to be faithful. And because of that, we have the potential to do a great amount of good. We have so many lives that we can touch, so many people that we can bring into relationship with God, so many different people that we can spread the truth of the gospel to. But because of that, there's a grave danger for scandal. Imagine someone beholding someone that professes themselves Catholic or professes themselves Christian, and they're simply living as if it doesn't matter. That they're mad, that they're indifferent, that they seem sad and down, that they seem like their faith doesn't give them all that much positive potential. Doesn't that cause damage to the church? Because each and every one of us have that power to do tremendous good. Each and every one of us have that ability to lift up the church that even in the midst of brokenness and human frailty, that we can continue to build up the church and empower it and cause something beautiful for the next generation. 
And each and every one of us are given a particular mission. Each and every one of us are given a piece of that puzzle to put into place. Each and every one of us have a job to do. Each and every one of us should be speaking the gospel with our lives, with our words, with our actions, with everything that we do. Each and every one of us should be speaking the truth of the gospel. We should be a lot like St. Paul, recognizing that we're sent to a world that is in such desperate need of that message. To return to that initial question, why did I become a priest? It's because I saw a world of brokenness. I saw a world in desperate need. I saw a world that's enslaved to vice and to so many things that hold back human potential. And I know the answer. I know the remedy. It's Jesus Christ and the sacraments. It's the church and nothing else. That's why I became a priest. Because so many people need to hear that good news. But it's not just for me to profess and to preach. It's for each and every one of us to do. So my brothers and sisters, God is calling all of us. He's calling us to be ministers in his church. Are you going to be faithful to that calling? How is the Lord calling you into ministry?